Wow. It's time for Let's Humanize the Workplace. And my name is Vivian Aqua. For the new people that are following me or for everybody who's watching me who don't know me yet, I am the workplace wellness advocate and I help organizations with keeping their people healthy, happy and safe. Tonight, we have an exciting topic, but also a very cool panel. And I'm already seeing hi from San Diego. Wow, this is very cool. Thank you, uh, Brooke. I think I connected with Brooke uh, Errol just recently, but thank you for watching. Um, I'm getting a bit nervous and I know I've done this, like this is the, the 50 uh, episodes, the 50th episode, no, the 53rd episode already. And I'm getting a bit nervous, but it has to do with the topic. So I'm going to showcase what the topic will be. Um, it's going to be about diversity and inclusion. Let's pull up. So remember that quote that Rihanna shared last year, I think beginning of this year or end of last year, she said something about pull up when it comes to diversity, when it comes to inclusion. Well, I guided some of the people that I really believe that they are pulling up when it comes to diversity and inclusion. So we're going to have an engaging conversation regarding that. And um, if you're not connecting with them, connect with them. You have a chance to meet them, but definitely connect with them and get to know each other, get to know them because um, they are also fellow advocates when it comes to diversity and inclusion. Another thing that I want to discuss is last week, uh, Tuesday, I broke down to, during my live episode. Um, I don't want to break down today again, but it really, it really helped me. And I also want to thank Eva for being there and for being my guest of that day because I shared a tough question uh, about Orlando. Orlando is my son. Um, he's three in this photo, but he's now six. And he's asking me questions about what's happening in the world and what he's seeing on television. And we were doing our best to hide it. But at the end of the day, it's something that he might be dealing with. And I want him to be aware of what's happening. So I broke down to him together with uh, his father, my partner. And uh, we shared something about what happened to George Floyd. We also shared about something that, you know, why people are demonstrating for equal rights. And the first question Orlando asked me is, are they going to hurt you, mama? And um, I shared the next day that it felt like a white lie. It, it still feels like a lie because I don't know. I cannot guarantee that. But it's a challenging question a challenging discussion to have with a child because of this. And that's why I feel like everybody else, outraged, angry, sad, hurt. And I'm also not going to hide anymore. I'm going to, you know, showcase, demonstrate, support those who are demonstrating as well in my way, of course. And my way is this way by, um, by amplifying the voice of Black Lives Matter. So um, I'm going to show two things, or I think one thing, two things. So one of the things that I really adore from Alexis Ohanian, ever since he is the partner of uh, Serena Williams, I, I have been following him because he is not only walking the talk, he's doing it. And 
this message of him is so powerful. So he resigned from the board from um, he resigned from the board from Reddit. He was one of the board members from Reddit, and he resigned because merely because he wanted to amplify his voice and he wanted to amplify, you know, uh, a black person's voice. And by offering his seat to a black member, by offering his seat to a person, a, pe a person of color. And I think that is courageous. I think that a lot of, I know that a lot more companies need to do something similar like that because um, you can't support Black Lives Matter while the board members, the management layers, it's all white. It's there. There are no people of color within that. So I am standing behind Alexis. I'm standing behind some of the other comments that have been made. That you cannot, you know, you cannot just join the social media parade and post things just because and not display that you're not walking the talk. I want to see more people walking the talk. So, um, yeah, I, I'm speechless. So I'm, I'm going to go uh, to the next uh, topic. And also another thing that I want to, um, I, I really like Twitter. I, I really am a fan of Twitter. It's sometimes my hideout space. It's the hideout space for introverts uh, and also for the extroverted people. But I just want to say that Twitter... I love Twitter just because of this, just because of what Twitter has been doing. Twitter is an, a good example of walking the talk when it comes to Black Lives Matter. So um, please follow their example. If you can't join, try to educate your people, try to raise awareness regarding this topic, but also try to donate the causes, the, the foundations that are taking care or that are supporting people of Black Lives Matter because we all matter, but know that people from, you know, people of color have been hurt, mainly black people. And that's why I'm amplifying this as well. So with no further ado, I'm going to bring up all my guest uh, speakers and I am going to bring them one by one. Um, so Etienne Forbes has a strong passion for people, learning and new challenges. His experiences led him to desire to create inclusive work environments for all. Rashida Jones is a building is building human-centered HR practices by using agile HR, design thinking, digital transformation to create the best employee experience. Gary Turner, an amplifier, a creator, a host of uh, Value to Vulnerability podcast, and he does so much more. He does so much more. Um, and Raisa, Raisa Ghazi is an entrepreneur who is who has founded Diversity Boutique, an organization that promotes DNI in businesses, but also for nonprofit organizations. So, uh, everybody who's watching, please follow them, uh, support them because they are doing their, you know, they are doing their, uh, they are following their path to raise more awareness when it comes to diversity and inclusion. So definitely, and I'm seeing a lot of people saying hi. So Brian Kelly is saying hi. Hi, Brian Kelly. Uh, Errol Brook is also saying hi. It's not easy to talk to kids. And Tammy is also saying hi. You're welcome, Tammy. So let's go to the first question. And apparently I prepared this. The first question was, what, what is 
what is your personal connection with uh, DNI when it comes to diversity? So let me begin with Etienne. Uh, sure. Hey, everyone. Thanks mm -hmm. for showing up. Uh, yeah, so I think uh, I have a very personal connection. Uh, it's been a wild one. When I was really younger, I was uh, obsessed with astronomy, uh, and I really wanted to become an astronomer until I found out how much math was involved, and I was like, I checked out the game. You're so, sad, Etienne. Can you move your microphone? To yes. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can yeah. hear you now. <laughs> now we're cooking with fire. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, no, I have a very personal connection. I think um, I've had a lot of different jobs. When I was younger, I really had an aspiration to become an astronomer. It was something that was very important to me. I got out of it when I realized I didn't really like the math, like the work that went into it. It wasn't just pointing at stars. And uh, all the jobs I've had, a kind of almost a chaotic career, a lot of different fields, a lot of different industries, a lot of different jobs. And I just really started recognizing that there are a lot of people that weren't able to do the job very well based off things that had nothing to do with their actual skill and talent. It was more related to who they were, uh, where they're from, their socioeconomic background, who they loved, or who they praised. And I just got this idea that was uh, stuck in my head that there are so many people that could be astronomers, that could be something important, but weren't able to because of other things that weren't related. So for me, it's been something that's very personal, very, um, I've seen it. I've seen it in many different jobs and many different roles. And ever since I've been very obsessed with trying to um, fix it in every situation I've seen. Cool, and um, Gary? Yeah, so so I come. It's quite a new thing for me. It might not surprise you with the color of my skin. Yeah, it's not mm -hmm. DNA has not always been front of mind for me throughout my whole life. But the, but it's funny. My my awakening for this um, Vivian, the last couple of years is I myself was bullied. Um, so I've actually been othered in my own way. Um, certainly not with the number of barriers that people of color face. But it's interesting mm -hmm. as I've emerged the last few years and woken up to the DNI space that othering really goes across all genders, all races, all backgrounds. And I think it's, yeah, I'm just really passionate about helping workplaces get rid of the toxicity, get rid of the bullying, get rid of seeing people as objects and seeing them as human beings. And that's really, uh, that's why I'm really passionate about the DNI space. Cool. Raisa? So, hi, everyone. My family is watching probably as well. So, <laughs> hi. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I have to think about this, but uh, I come from a bi-religious bi family. So, my dad is Muslim. My mom is Hindu. Born and raised in the Netherlands. I have a South American, Indian, Middle Eastern background. So, I identified with the underdog always because I could always see a little piece of myself in that. So, I think that's why I'm uh, here. Thank you. And Rashida? Hi. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, um, whatever it is, <laughs> wherever you're watching. Um, so for me, um, I was um, born uh, and raised in Portugal, but um, to Indian parents. So very early on, I was actually uh, surrounded by a Western culture, but being raised uh, by very conservative parents. Um, I was the only uh, colored uh, child in my school, the only student. Uh, the only different one and I from very early on I understood that I was different not only did I look different but I thought differently I believed in different things um, and I've always sort of found that I was different to everybody around me and that made me from a very young age want to explore people um, you know understand how they function what makes them tick you know why are we the way that we are how are we wired this way what makes us get wired this way so um, that, that led me to choose uh, psychology for to study at a degree, and I've traveled the world since then to work and live to really help me understand people, so I can connect with them where they are. So, thank you, thank you. And my personal connection is um, 
being in the workplaces and I've been working for as a consultant for a very long time for about 14 years um I always was the only black person I always was the only black woman and I could not think about why why am I the only one I felt comfortable I felt noticed I felt seen until I noticed that there were so many talented people um, not reaching, you know, not reaching uh, to their full potential. And that's my personal connection, making others aware of their full potential, but also um, opening, helping the growth mindset of the HR managers, of the managers themselves, and also, you know, opening their minds. Because if my six-year-old, when at the time when he was four, was teaching us about growth mindset, how come that we adults cannot embrace that? So I just I just want to plant that thought seed, investigate in growth mindset because we all need that, especially now. Um, the, the next question, let's see. Etienne, what is the most common mistake in organizations when thinking about diversity? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a simple question, right? Um, mm, is it? <laughs> uh, I would say that I think it's referring and looking at it as this uh, seasoning, as this uh, thing that you can do on top of whatever your business practice mm, That's I a think, good way. Yeah, I think it's um, it's not an easy problem. And to Gary's point, you know, uh, we all come across these things. These issues we're facing are systemic and systemic in very different ways based off the country and the continent. So I think um, just approaching it as a very short, uh, easy fix and not investing in the proper resources, including time, effort, um, Einstein said that uh, if he had an hour to solve a problem, he would spend 55 minutes on thinking about the problem and five minutes on a solution. And I think the companies have been doing the exact opposite. There's always a new idea. There's always a new initiative. But, you know, what's really causing the issues? How do we get people that have not been able to apply for a job or once they get there? Like, how do we really fix the systemic issues? So I think that would be okay. the biggest. There's something that I do. And the people that know me know that I can be annoying. You haven't done anything wrong, but I feel like there are some people in the back that cannot hear what you just said. So can you rephrase, can you, you know, repeat that last sentence just to let the people in the back know what you just said? <laughs> yeah, I think it's um, just organizations, if they're really serious about changing these issues, if they're really serious about diversity and inclusion, it's, you mm -hmm. have to be really serious about addressing what the actual problem is. And the problem is a systemic one, a deep-rooted one, and that requires a lot of resources in the um, way of time, <laughs> effort. Oh, wait, I got one already. Nice. Um, yeah, it, it requires a lot of uh, investment. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, Raisa? Um, yeah, so what I think that a lot of companies uh, underestimate is the um, amount of conflict and distrust there might be in the beginning when you add mm -hmm. diversity to a company that's mostly, um, yeah, pretty similar. Everyone is the same. Um, and that's just part of the process. So after a while, um, when you really work on psychological safety, building a culture of safety and acceptance, um, you can actually thrive, but that's not how it's going to be from the start. And I think if we would take that into account, we would be less like, oh, well, this is not working out. I mean, it is working out, but it's a journey. Let's see what Gary's standpoint is. Yeah, for me, it's, it's really the simple thing around seeing individuals. Like at the end of the day, I think the language, like, let's bring this to life, Vivian. 
it's actually the language piece. We're still obsessed with costs and balance sheets and war metaphors. So instead of actually seeing like one of the most underappreciated assets on a balance sheet is our people. Yeah. There's exponential potential with every single human being that we're already paying a salary towards. Yet we so rarely unleash that because we're too busy being busy. Okay, I need to stop you now because you're saying something that you need to repeat again. Can you repeat that that from that balance sheet perspective? I, I, I might need Etienne's help here. He's way more. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I, I think I think the thing I said, Vivian, is mm -hmm. just around this point that human beings are still seen as a cost on a balance sheet rather than an asset to be invested in. Yeah, and I think it, it's such an important shift of language. This isn't just a nice semantic comment. Like it's a very real thirty-three pence in the pound. Yeah, optimum engagement according to Gallup for over a decade. Organizations are putting two thirds of every pound they spend on salaries straight down the drain, and that's mm -hmm. evidence. Like, why don't you spend that money in DNI? Like, what a great investment. <laughs> that's a good tip, and Raisa. Rashita. Oh, sorry, Rashita. Yeah, sorry. Rashita. <laughs> no problem. Um, I think that there's a couple of things, that, you know, from an organization perspective. Um, the mistake, common mistake, is that what, what we've got is that we're being thrown with a solution. We're being told what we need to do from an institution or a government. You need to increase diversity. We, we get given quotas, perhaps, you know, or we know it's the thing to do. So when we're coerced into something, what we see is that sort of window dressing. Okay, statistics you want to see, let me put something together. So it's not coming from within, it's not coming from the, from a real desire to change. So there, there's no connection, there's no connection to a value, there's no connection to um, to, to the humanity, to that, to the individual aspect that uh, Gary was talking about. So that's what you see, you just see basically, you know, numbers. Um, and that's one of the difficulties. When you know, when you have an organization that is successful and you have a board, which is predominantly or primarily made up of, of you know, I don't know, white uh, men, and they say, okay, I've got to here, I'm successful. Why mm. do I need to change? Why do I need to change what I'm doing? So let them <laughs> comfortable because they don't see the value. So we need to actually go a step back from an organizational perspective. Okay, before you create a solution, you need a problem. So what is the problem that we're facing right now? And what is this problem going to address? You know, what do we want to see at the end? What is that we want to experience? And what does this look like? So actually before the solution, let's go to the beginning. What is the problem? Where are, you know, why did we reach here? What, what got us here and what do we want to see at the end? I just want to, um, I just want to see color. I just want to see diversity, not only color, but diversity in people amplifying their own talents. And when I see somebody entering bubbly, Um, I'm talking also from personal perspective, right? Because I used to be bubbly, used to be uh, engaging with a company. And then within one year, maybe two years, my energy is gone. The power is gone because instead of me bringing innovation, bringing new new ideas, I my, my light was dimmed. And I was just like, why? I thought you hired me because of the unique talents that I have instead of copy pasting because if you want a copy of yourself just just you know put yourself on a copy machine and do that <laughs> yeah i shall not let my life be dimmed that's something that i that um that i promised myself from last year and that's also something that ignited this show so i just want people to 
be aware of the talent, to be aware of the skills, and also organizations, if you want to amplify your business, diversity is the way to go. That's it. And um, let me see. Have you ever handled a situation when one colleague wasn't accepting another's diversity? And I'm going to go with Rashida. Um, having lived in um, several countries, mm -hmm. um, and most recently, not most recently, but a few years ago in the Middle East, I was slightly younger, uh, still in HR. I came across a lot of these situations, actually. Um, the Middle East is a very patriarchal society. Um, so as a woman, um, you're not only, um, hmm. yeah, yeah. so it's, it's not discrimination against, uh, being a woman, but also your race. So yeah. privilege is given to white people. So I was a, a woman of color and not white. So I was discriminated against both, but being in HR, I had to, I felt that I had to stand up and protect, um, you know, my, uh, the building the spine of my care. Uh, and I think that the, the thing that I, I had to do here and the thing that we need to do now, actually, you know, where we are today, where we find ourselves in the current situation is that, again, we need to sort of take a step back and we, and we need to restore trust uh, and we need to um, reconnect with ourselves, with our humanity. And we need to, you know, be compassionate. We need to speak up. You know, we can't just um, hope that, you know, by not talking about it and brush it under the carpet. So. I raised the issue, I brought the people together and I said, this is not okay and we need to do different, we need to do better and we can't just, um, you know, forgive and forget. Uh, we have to address it. So, yeah, it's happened a few times, uh, but uh, we, we also need to remember that circumstances can change in the blink of an eye, but people are much slower to change. And, um, you, you know, you've got to be patient with this process. And when we're talking about beliefs that are systemic, that are sort of ingrained, they're unconscious a lot of the times. Uh, just a conversation, say, hey, this is not all right, is not going to do anything. So, uh, true. true. You're nodding your head, Etchen. Do you have something that you want to share about this? <laughs> uh, yeah, just, uh, I'm like Rashida, I'm also a psychology nerd. And uh, that's, the, that's the toughest part about this entire conversation. You're not just trying to change people for these, uh, you know, 40 hours a week, hopefully that you're working, but it's what they're going home to afterwards. Mm -hmm. It's what they're watching on TV. It's what they're tweeting. What well, now we can find out, but this is very deep rooted. And I think um, to think that you can have this a one hour luncheon meet and change the way someone views another entire race or another religion or who they pray to is kind of um, it's, it's unreasonable. So I think um, what, uh, but the biggest thing about that is giving people time in the space and then finding, I think, finding where those those no's are, those hard no's and those hard yeses, and then establishing the workplace that allows, um, I guess, acceptance in the workplace. I was thinking about your question, and um, I have had opportunities in a lot of different jobs where I, I found that I wasn't looking for um I was I wasn't looking for acceptance. I was looking to be respected in the workplace. I was mm -hmm. looking to be treated fairly, but I wasn't asking for respect and um, acceptance from a lot of my coworkers because, to Rashida's point, I just knew what they were, where they were coming from. There was someone I spent time, extra time outside the office, um, trying to get to be um, know them better, have conversations. But I think that's a very different approach from an HR DNI perspective from a company. And one that you make personally and how you want to teach and grow someone. So I agree. There's a lot of deep rooted we're working with. And we need to, going back to finding out what the actual problem is, we need to spend time on what that is. And, I, and then separate what we can do in the workplace for the 40 hours we have someone. And all the other stuff, you know, we'll see what happens then. The, am I hearing that 
can companies solve that then? Um, I'm trying to formulate my question. So um, is it fixable? The diversity problem, is it fixable? I think it, it's, if I may. Um, yeah, you may. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so if, you know, um, if we look at sort of, again, going back to sort of, you know, how, how we sort of process things. Our brains can process around consciously around 40 items per second, mm -hmm. but as many as 11 million things unconsciously. Yeah. So what that means is that the majority of the time, so 99% of our time, you know, whatever we're doing, we're operating from shortcuts, uh, which are basically, uh, to, to, which we use to make decisions, mm -hmm. but effectively what they are, they are all biases that we have, right? So uh, we're not going to be able to address any of these changes unless we address the biases that we have. Mm -hmm. And this, and if we want to move on, you know, if from a company's perspective, we want to move on from this whole checklist perspective, our training and development initiative needs to start looking at these things, right? It, it's it's got to be more than just a superficial, you know, training or, um, you know, the one day workshop. It's got to go deeper into actually how we, the makeup of our people, the makeup of our brains, and it's actually our organizationers. It, it should be an organizational's responsibility to do that. You know, we you know we 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 make the world go round. Actually, we need to do a bit more for our employees. You know, we need to look after all our stakeholders, every single one of them. Raisa, what do you have to add on? I I agree completely with Rishia. Actually, I like that she has such a um, she comes from a psychology background, and that really adds to the conversation. Um, and and so yeah, it's it's first of all uncovering your own bias, knowing mm -hmm. that even though you might be of a minority background, you also have to uncover your yeah, but own everybody bias. Everybody has biases. It seems like it seems like exactly. people are not aware that everybody has biases. Yes, my, me myself, all these panel members, we all have biases get we over do. it <laughs> we do <laughs> yeah and then when you can also when everyone can have that honest conversation and also admit when they have felt discriminated against when mm -hmm. they have done it in the workplace that can only happen if there's a safe space mm. you know and, and all of yeah. these things we need to learn about i mean the safe space how am i going to find out about my own bias how am i going to find out when when i felt bad all of these things, it's all education. So I think it's possible, but it's going to take a lot of money probably. So that needs to be available. No, it's going to be an investment. Investment, yeah. And time. Yeah. And Gary? Well, I just love this conversation because if I weave together what the other three panelists have mentioned, like I'd like to come at it a different lens. Mm -hmm. Let's think about it from the point of view of, we've had this pandemic pause, which lots of people are calling it. Yeah. The world is still spinning. Yeah. Beliefs are being shattered. Like you can, my, in my organization, finance couldn't work from home eight weeks ago. HR mm -hmm. couldn't work from home eight weeks ago. They're all working from home eight weeks later. Yeah. Like so, think about the same with racism and DNI and equality. Like we can shift our beliefs if we want to. It's a choice, but we need to do the inner work of staring at those beliefs and going shit. I've had oh, sorry. Bad no, you can. Not so awesome. You can. No, you can. Um, I really believe it. it's the hard work I'm continuing to do. Yeah. You have to, and it's a practice. Like again, it's not. A, it's not a once in a lifetime one, one shot, half an hour lunch and learn. It's like we need safe environments. Back to the previous comment, where we can come together, share experience, and go right. Can I call you out, please, Etienne? Because you just said this, and I'm not quite sure that was good or not, or Rashita, can you call me out if you think, like we need that environment where we can call each other out safely, constructively, and then we all rise up. But as long as there's a, a leader or a power structure that says I'm the boss and you're not, 
then we're going to DNI is not going to progress. But I think as soon as we start to get away from that, move towards self-management, more agile processes like Rashida leads, like it's how we design our organizations. It has to be designed around our people and not in spite of them. But then then DNI will land. Then DNI okay. will land. This triggered me into um, I'm going to have a, a conversation soon about uh, self-steering organizations, self-steering teams. Is that the answer yeah. to to help fix DNI? Uh, the help, to help fix the DNI problem that we are facing at the moment. Uh, oh. Just go, no, just go. Go ahead, Gary. You did. No, no, it's only only very only very very quickly. Um, so I had Doug Kirkpatrick on my podcast recently, mm -hmm. who's like the modern father, the modern father of self management. And I would invite people to go and have a listen to that because he has two very simple principles, and this is how the whole of his organization was designed in 1990. One, we follow through on our commitments. Mm -hmm. Everybody agrees to that. And the other one is that we treat each other as a human being. There are no other structures. There are no performance reviews. There are no other there are no other designs practices apart from we sign up to those two pillars of this organization. And they're the largest tomato processor in the world yes, and have been for the last 30 that. years. Yeah. You should, they also have a YouTube video. I, I, I recommend everybody to watch it. They explain it really, really well. Okay, cool. We'll, we'll share that later. And um, let me see, because this is a, a, a maybe a challenging question, but I'm still going to answer it. Has diversity played a negative part or a positive part in your career? And you can share whatever. You can share the negative. You can share the positive. Etienne, I see you thinking <laughs> out loud. So... Uh, I can say that I've, uh, I would say I've had negative experiences and I even feel that that might be a bit harsh. I feel like I learned from everything, but mm -hmm. I will say that the positive, positive thing that diversity has done is that I'm very clear about the organization I want to work for. Mm -hmm. I'm very clear about what I accept and I don't accept in the workplace. I have a very clear uh, compass of what I need in the environment. So I think for me, what I got very lucky is that very early in my career, I was able to understand kind of what we said earlier, that I also have biases. I also yeah. understand that organizations play a role. And now that I'm on that side of it, I understand that there's a responsibility that we have creating that environment that we've spoke about um, so that people can feel safe to speak up. So you feel safe to answer someone, um, check them on what But for those who aren't in the DNI field, how can they have that same you know, comfort, that same confidence that you have at the moment when it comes to diversity? I. I got very lucky because I've had so many different jobs in so many different places. So I've seen a lot of different organizations mm -hmm. and I've also understood that I'm, like I said earlier, I'm not looking for someone to accept me. I have a mm -hmm. big ass Caribbean family and they all check me all the time. I'm not really looking for it. Are they checking you now? <laughs> I put, well, I put the link in my WhatsApp chat, but you think those 70 year old West Indian women are going to find out. Like, that's not going to, uh, that's not very likely. But um, yeah, more seriously, I, I've gotten very lucky. I'm privileged in the fact that I've been able to not want or expect um, validation from the workplace. So mm -hmm. for me, I'm very clear um, what I'm looking for in the workplace. I think people that have less um, less experience, um, that's kind of the role people, the organization has. They have to make a clear line about what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And I'm a very big fan of people understanding where you're able to be influenced. I think 
again, raise your hand in this chat if you've ever applied to a job as an engineer hoping to have a conversation about, you know, women's inequality. Have you ever applied to become an astronomist and hoping to discuss who you pray to? It's something yeah. that happens because the workplaces aren't fair. So it's a lot to ask that 25-year-old person, that 28-year-old person to do all that on top of being really good at their job. So I think mm -hmm. once you get, like you said, Gary, this is something that came to you later in your career. Once you become one more aware, then you do what you can when you can. But I don't think that burden should be on someone that doesn't know or isn't aware at very early age. Okay, then I'm going to challenge Riza. What would you tell yourself 10 years ago when you just, maybe 10 years or five years ago when you started your career, knowing what you know now? that the things I believed in were good enough to speak mm -hmm. up about. And I didn't do that all the time because I felt like, what do I know? Like some things didn't feel good and I could see things happening like to employees who had, um, yeah, mental issues and they just try to discuss it. And then I would see that not play out well for them, but then I didn't know. Um, Am I the right person to speak up about it? Um, am I gonna get in trouble? Am I wrong? Mm -hmm. Am I too sensitive? My thing was always, I'm too sensitive. And then now I think, no, you were not sensitive. You were on point, but you just didn't know what diversity inclusion was. So you thought it was your problem. Yeah, too late though. Yeah, so diversity and inclusion is sensitive. Is it Rashida? Diversity and inclusion is sensitive. Is that your question? Mm -hmm. Well, I think um, yes, because a lot of us don't know sometimes what to say and how to say. We don't know how to approach you know, the question. We don't know how to ask the question in fear of saying the wrong thing, um, maybe, or maybe because we're ignorant or we don't want to come across as ignorant or because we don't want to hurt people or, or you know, we're just very careful. So we don't ask the question. Um, and we don't address these issues, basically. Uh, you know, we, we, we don't invite discussion, and by, in that, in at the same time, then we don't invite growth and understanding and awareness. And mm -hmm. that's, I think, that's where the problem is. We have this idea that if we just don't, if we, if we don't see it, it's not there. If we don't speak it, it's not there. And that's not how it works. And this is what I'm trying to change with my daughter. Uh, children begin to see color, race by the time they're about 30 months old, right? So there's yeah. just over uh, over two years. Uh, and they begin to sort of make assumptions based on what they see, not what we tell them based on what they see. And if we don't tell them that what, you know, if we don't talk about race um, and, and diversity openly, we're basically not, we're, we're qualifying what they, what they, what they assume. And mm -hmm. that's what we need to stop. Right. So I, I think we need to basically, you know, um, speak up, invite discussion, invite growth, invite awareness. Um, and, and this is, I think, the, the only way forward, you know, a book and education is not going to change where we are. We need to basically, um, we need to have these discussions. We need to have more yeah. conversations. I, I do want to add on because we are both mothers. Um, diversity and inclusion starts young. So my son is watching a channel uh, here in the Netherlands. It's all about boys, transformers, all these boys things. And I'm just like, okay, mom likes transformers i grew up with he-man i grew up with uh with thundercats that's that's my thing right so how dare you say that cartoons certain cartoons are only for boys or for men uh i'm assaulted i'm offended by that so for those of you who are making cartoons or these platforms know that women girls also like these cartoons and i do feel like the media also plays a part also plays mm. a big role in that
um, in portraying, you know, young women, uh, women in a particular way or men in a particular way, and um, they're lacking diversity in every aspect. So it's not about, you know, DNI, it's not only about race, although race is now, you know, the, the, the trending topic at the moment, but DNI, it goes further than mm -hmm. that. Gary, what do you have to say about that? Well, I, th I think it's I think it's important when we think about diversity as well. There is diversity of thought, absolutely mm. diversity yeah. of race and background and gender. But we need to get back to basics as well. Sometimes remember, like how many more reports do we need to tell us the value of having diverse boards and diverse workforces? But it's not changing. So there's something going on with organizations. We don't want we don't. to listen. They don't like, want to listen. I don't know why, because McKinsey wrote a report on it. EY wrote a report on it. All these, you know, big companies have these statistics, have a report on it. But apparently there are so many companies that don't see it, don't believe it, or don't know how to, to embrace it. So help me, Gary. What what do we need to do? What Where, where do we need to nudge them or maybe push them? towards this topic? For me, you just said the word, the critical word, believe. Mm. If senior leaders, CEOs, C-suites do not believe in the value of humans, do not believe wow. in a diverse workforce, do not believe. If they don't believe, nothing changes. And that's why nothing's changing, because they don't believe. Now, what I love is if you come across Barry Waymiller's work and the CEO, Bob Chapman, mm -hmm. I just want to share it very quickly. It's really poignant for this conversation. He views every person that works within the organization as somebody else's precious child. Mm -hmm. Now, when you look at your employees as somebody else's kid, I think that starts to shift how you view human beings. Yeah. As, long, as long as we see humans as people on an org chart or a number on a spreadsheet, nothing changes. So I think there is hope. I genuinely believe this conversation is part of that. But we need to connect the heart to the head and get away from just living in our heads because that's the biggest problem. Yeah. I totally believe. And also, I would. I just wanted to say, Bark uh, Fraj Kamus, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, but thank you for sharing this. And this is common, right? For those who are speaking up, this is common. What, what kind of encouragement, what can we do to prevent this or what can we do to soften the pain? Uh, Rashida. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's, it's very... It, yeah, my heart goes out to you uh, and, and to all the people who have the courage um, mm -hmm. to actually speak up and speak out uh, and sometimes are left uh, unprotected by the system. But uh, we, we all need to come together and view each other as human beings. It's a time for solidarity, for empathy and compassion. Um, you know, it's no time to, you know, what we all come. I feel that the reason why this is the way that it is is because we all come from a... a, a a feeling of scarcity, right? We're, we're, we're you know, we're usually, tr we're either in the fear or in the love side. Mm -hmm. And when we come to things with fear, right? Uh, we're just not thinking, we're not thinking from love. Uh, we're not thinking from, from the higher ground. And we begin to compare ourselves and we need to basically feel like we, you know, we want to belong. We want to belong to our tribe, to our group. Uh, and this is where the unconscious bias comes in, right? And if you're not part of my group, then, you know, Basically, that's what happens. You, I push you out because I want to belong. So, mm -hmm. you know, th there is so much abundance and love in the world, you know, uh, and we're, we're all connected. We're all one. You know, we're one with the world. We're one with the planet. And we're one with each other. So let's start seeing ourselves as that and not as different to one another and push each other out. 
because you know what? There is no winning. It's not a zero sum game, and we need to step away from that. Yeah. You know, taking away from me is not going to add to me because in the end, yeah, it it all comes round. I I totally believe in karma, and also know that nowadays, I mean, Twitter. You have Twitter. You have these so so many social media platforms, and the last thing that you want to do is create. Uh, an occasion or create an, an, uh, a moment where a former employee or somebody else is going to leave your company. And um, recently, I'm just going to say the name, Facebook did something, uh, supported Blackout Tuesday. And uh, the next day, uh, I think an engineer or somebody high in high up in the archy, in the tree, uh, made an open statement, wrote an open letter saying that calling Facebook on their BS um, and left the company. And in the meantime, also, you know, displaying saying that I'm looking for a new company who has these values. And I think that is, it was a boss move of that person, <laughs> a boss move of that person. So um, coming to the next question, what can, I'm going to mix two questions. So what can, I'm going to mix it. So, there is this social injustice happening, but I'm also, you know, in the beginning, I shared something about the companies that are using their platform for the better good. Not only posting just for the likes, but also putting their, walking the talk and putting their money where they're, they're um, I don't know the quotes, but please help me if you know the sentence, but um, I'm too hyped about this, but just know that I am missing a lot of companies in Europe that are supporting Blackout Tuesday, but are doing nothing. Are doing nothing when it comes to their management levels, are doing nothing to uplift uh, diversity in general, and are being silent, especially in the Netherlands. And I know why. I'm not going to open that Pandora's box because I don't want you know negativity on this channel. But I, I do have to say that in the Netherlands, we're not that far ahead from what's happening in the States. So let me see, Riza. Um, yeah, I, I feel the same way about the, the companies in the Netherlands. I have mm -hmm. seen a lot of companies stay quiet. Mm -hmm. um, it's almost like we feel like America is so far away from us that it we don't actually have to speak about this. But the fact is that we have similar things happening in the Netherlands. And, um, you know, uh, luckily nothing big like what has happened in the US has happened recently. But if you look at statistics on uh, applying for jobs or, um, yeah, there's lots of things in the recruitment process where there's the discrimination apparently, um, mm -hmm. we are definitely lacking. And I, I do feel, however, that a lot of companies have done the, um, the performative allyship where they pretend to be uh, an ally. The window dressing. Window dressing, as you call mm -hmm. it really well. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like that's also very harmful because there's not actually something happening and companies are actually profiting from making it out to be, making themselves out to be very inclusive when they're not. Mm -hmm. So I think personally, the best thing you can do right now, now that we've seen a lot of company do, companies do that, is come forward with what you're gonna change or what yeah. you've achieved or what you're not happy with, like concrete steps, but no uh, Blackout Tuesday post on Instagram, because I find that very weak, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I also want to say, if you don't know the answer, I mean, you can always ask help 
you can always ask. We have five people here. You can ask help. I am not expecting the companies to uh, know it all, but now is the time that if you're really inviting, if you really want to raise awareness regarding DNI, invite the people who are already busy with that so that together they can help you uh, support the DNI initiatives and Etienne. Uh, yeah, this is a, a difficult one to unpack. I think mm -hmm. um, I would I would say that there's different issues being fought for different um, different um, groups of people. I think yeah. the fight in the United States is a very different one than the one that's going on in the Netherlands and the UK. Mm -hmm. And I think that has to be paid attention to. I think there's yeah. different ask. And we brought up a lot of good points about how media plays a big role. I think. Yeah, you know, I think um, if you're someone that works for a media company or leading a media company, you have a different role to play in this um, this fight, and it is a fight. So again, to your point, Vivian, about the movies and the TV shows your son is watching, hey, write your little statement, but then change what you're actually doing. You know, mm -hmm. I think um, I would tell all these companies that want to feel the urge to do or say something, uh, ask why, and but but say less and do more like turn, mm. the, turn the press releases into policies turn the press releases into practices and see what happens i think it means something very different <laughs> for each company yeah <laughs> so i think um it's it's tough to answer i think it means something different for each country each company and then sure. if you if you're saying you're if you have values that we all every company has on a pretty page that they spend thousands of euros and dollars on you know, preach, find, preach. Find a way to make uh, what yeah. you're doing align to those things and then ask yourself what you can change tomorrow in your company. And it's going to be Definitely. different. You don't have to do the same thing that Nike's doing. You don't have to do what Twitter's doing. Your platform. But what is Nike doing? Uh, I, I, think, <laughs> I, think, I think what's different is that Nike has spent, Nike, McDonald's, a lot of these global corporations have spent a lot of money, a lot of effort, and being very regionally focused. And they're able to come up with very handcrafted, very good statements. And a lot of other companies are chasing that. And just to back no, up. No, really. Bit, I'm still asking, what is Nike doing? I, I think, Rice, I understood my shade. Oh. But <laughs> are they, what, what are they doing? Because you can, I mean, you can try to support or you can try to post, but. At the time that um, they supported, uh, how do you say they supported the football uh, guy, Jordan, right? Kaepernick, right? So they they did that, but it's not now only the time to just throw your money and think that you can support, you know, you can support a cause. It's also starting from within. Yeah, you know, I I think that that is basically what is what the challenge is i think kind of what mm -hmm. you see what happened with a facebook individual i think we all have different roles to play and you know putting yeah. out a statement i think you know that's the bare minimum you can do i think there's a starting point there's something you can do but i think true someone that's working in facebook when you see your company put something out challenge them and like call them out i think when nike's doing something when any company is doing something you who works for that company and call them out specifically on that thing so i think it's very hard to find a blanket um, practice for a company to address i think mm -hmm. any company that um if we just think about the the stats the data that's been out there that's proving how diversity earns more money and oh, yet yeah. still still companies aren't able to do that that means that speaks to how deep-seated these issues are mm -hmm. the board of gentlemen that are only on this board to earn more earnings for the company and still they cannot find to make the way the board more diverse it means that we have a lot a lot a lot of work to do so i think it's part of what gary was saying it's part of what everyone's been saying so far we have to start unpacking very specifically each and every company each and every one at a very separate different way so that's made my biggest point i think 
you say something, that's fine. That's cool. I know you writing a statement isn't really going to help me get my next job at any other company. That doesn't mean anything to me. But if you put it publicly, if you say what you're going to try and do, like um, Bryce was saying, if you're going to actually put out um Put out what you're going to try and do then i can try and hold you accountable then mm -hmm. we can check back then we can follow up what you said you're going to do so for me i don't another policy really is going to change my day-to-day -day. it's not going to change anyone's life in the united states and i don't think it's going to change anyone's life the next day so for me it's yeah. uh it does so much but um yeah uh, okay people have been blowing up the comments so i have to <laughs> i have to show some of them or at least uh let me see where where it ended i think Hi, Tony. Thank you for watching. Um, let me see this one. And um, Raisa, what, what else can we share about or what else do you have to add on what uh, HN just shared right now? Um, on speaking up when it comes to injustice in the workplace? Mm -hmm, Is that mm -hmm. the question? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, well, I think that we need to create the right setting for that because mm -hmm. simply to expect that someone will feel comfortable enough to say it on social media, that's not going to happen. Um, there needs to be a safe space though. Um, I'm going to ask something. <laughs> Do you think that the solution, because what I see now is uh, after this, a lot of vacancy will pull up, right? Regarding DNI officers, et cetera, et cetera. Is a DNI officer, you know, just that one person who is responsible for the diversity? Is, is that enough? It's up to that person to implement uh, policies, I think, mm -hmm. and, and to make sure everyone has the right training and the right tools, the resources to also be more inclusive. I, I think that's a great first step, having a diversity officer there, because it means mm -hmm. someone is actually going to spend their day thinking about what's going on, measuring what's going on, um, installing new policies, measuring how that's working. I mean, that would be great, I think. Anyone else who thinks that's not a great idea? <laughs> I, 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 um, I agree and disagree. Um, I agree that it's good to have a focus. However, um, you know, we, it's a bit like having a, a chief wellness officer in an organization. If you mm -hmm. need, but just the fact that you need a chief wellness officer, that is already uh, admitting that what we're doing is not right. You know, that our policies, our practices, our procedures are, are making our people sick. So actually, instead of putting another Band-Aid solution in the form of a chief wellness officer, why, not, why don't we go back and look at exactly what is making our employees not feel well or sick or go on burnout? And this is the same as how I feel with diversity. I think, yeah, have, have that focus, great, but this needs to be ingrained you know, into, into the culture, into the values. It needs to be part of, of what we think, what we feel, what we see. One of the mistakes I feel that we make in organizations is that you know, we expect policies to um, suddenly uh, bring about the change that we wish to see. And policies don't do that. I mean, because do we need more Bibles? Do we need more policies of Bibles? Policies are made by humans who are biased. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> themselves are biased, right? Uh, and this is a, an issue as well. You know, mm -hmm. we, we make the policies. HR makes a policy with mm -hmm. maybe with all the good intentions, you know, to try and, and bring, uh, you know, and, and bring up um, wow. to the surface an issue that we want to try and explain or solve. But we do it behind closed doors with only our people. And we look at the intended consequences of what we want to achieve and we forget about the unintended consequences, basically. 
and and this is basically the result of where we are right now we want to achieve something and we put this in place we put it in place on our own we don't involve those that it surrounds that are involved and then we don't we don't check what's happened as a result of that afterwards so if there is one call to action that i would like to ask employees hr professionals managers here is to take a step back look at all your policies procedures your practices you know evaluate are they doing what they're intending to do but what else are they doing so let's take for example the our the, in recruitment you know let's say you hire people for cultural fit or you hire or, or you say that for example let's have well, I a, hate um, that word <laughs> but if you hire for cultural fit you're hiring sameness you're hiring you're hiring uniqueness yeah. or for example yeah. the employee referral policy right so hey refer refer your friends yeah. to the organization where is the diversity coming in through the door, right? So you want to achieve, you want to save costs on recruitment and you want to hire people who have the same values as you. That's great. But then what you're doing on the other, so the unintended consequence of that mm -hmm. is that you're not having diversity coming through the door. Yeah, true, true. I, I also agree with what Tony is sharing. Diversity is a responsibility of everybody in the company, but it starts somewhere. It has to start somewhere. It has to start with training and it doesn't end with just, doing a one-year training only for the managers and HR officers to, it's not upon them to train the people. I would, I would uh, maybe if I could add, I would yeah. say that um, what's the accountability is a, a big thing that will, I think will lead to progress, lead to change. But I would also say that we just, now that we spoke that we've uh, discussed very briefly how deep rooted and how difficult this problem is and mm -hmm. how, and how it's, part of every facet of our society, everything that we witness with our eyes and we hear, I think to ask someone that has focused their entire career on human resources or focused their entire career on MB, uh, finance or anything in those disciplines to then suddenly learn the science, the data, the practices of fixing and really do it well, it's a very big burden. I think um, in the future, further down the line, I would love to see accountability for DNI attached to everyone's contract, attached to everyone's Absolutely. task. But I think until we get to that point, how about we get someone that comes in and is only looking at that? But with yeah. a caveat, that person yeah. needs to have some type of power. You can't just have that person throwing cookouts and making a, yeah. a wonderful webinar. You have to have that person being able to tell that manager of the department, say, hey, no, no, here's how you recruit. Oh, no, Not no, only the manager, tell the CEO oh, of everyone, that. Everyone. So <laughs> I, think, I think in a perfect world, we're going to get to that point. But I really would mm -hmm. love to have someone that's in there with power that's um, able to check in again. I'm just imagining how each and every state from my country, United States, different policies of how you can hire and what's allowed and what's not. We need someone that knows Florida very well mm. by making Florida a better company. And we need someone that knows the Netherlands very mm. well, the Netherlands better. And the same thing for all the different countries. So yeah. the amount of work I see, it means that someone's gonna have to focus on it. But to all the point that's been raised, it, that person's gonna be ineffective if it's just a side thing that this person's sitting in a corner trying to come up and do so. Just a question. We're going over time. How much over time are we allowed to go or do you want to end? Are you okay with going 50 minutes over? Yeah. Is over time? Is that pay and a half? How much, what is <laughs> <laughs> I'm not you need to get to be extra proud of yourself. <laughs> You're getting kudos. He, I think <laughs> if he wants more likes, he needs more hearts. So please send out the hearts to him. We will like on Facebook. <laughs> Um, I think this question that Ava is asking, Gary, what does it take to dare to be uncomfortable instead of hiding behind policies? How can we encourage companies to do that more often? 
it's such a I'm sorry I'm like a broken record, but it's called humanity. Like it's it's You're not. <laughs> it's but it really is that simple. Like we, we've got to bear in mind part of the reason we're talking about race the last two weeks is because mm. people people don't know themselves. Yeah. People yeah. people don't know what they're afraid of, people don't know what they like. Like we, we don't do the inner work enough. Like and I was the yeah. same guy till three years ago. So like unless we're actually looking inside ourselves, and that you can look at that as an individual, but also an organizational setting. Because what's an organization? It's people. And again, I think we give away our power actually as individuals quite a lot to a leader, to an organization. So I'd like to answer this question in part by saying, what stops any one of us on this call today going to our colleagues and going, look, let's run an experiment. Let's measure how many, how much diversity we have come through the door in the next six months. Don't Ooh. wait, don't wait for DNI to do it. Don't wait yeah. for the CEO to do it. Get yeah. the evidence yeah. yourself. It costs nothing. Because I can tell you, when I ran an experiment for three years in my workplace with our sales team, we shifted the culture, increased sales by six million and margin by one and a half over three years. That cost the business nothing, okay? But what it cost was intention, courage, and vulnerability not to know all the answers. So we need somehow, we need to start taking more accountability individually and also take a few more risks collectively. And we don't have to spend money on that. It's just going to take a bit of courage. And I think it's unless we do it, like if we rely on HR and policies, we're going to be having this conversation in 10 years' time. Sorry, I had to I had to quote you on that one. I know it, it wasn't perfect, but I had to bring it up. Um I'm speechless, Gary. It doesn't happen that often, but I was speechless <laughs> after what you shared. So um let me see. Okay. Maya Lyon is sharing money for HN. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Dinner's paid. <Yeah. team. laughs> <laughs> That's already great. No, I'm really loving this conversation. And I had a gazillion questions that I wanted to uh, ask, but. Um, I have a comment, if I may, about the uncomfortableness, because I think. Yeah. Um, one of my experience um, from one of the jobs I've had is that I've seen my uncle uh, when I was in Florida. Uh, get fired for um, speaking up against our manager. Mm. Fired, and it was the guy was blatant enough and fearless enough to point to directly it being a racist issue. Yeah. And it, it, it was it was a very young age. I was seventeen and eighteen. It was very forming for me. So I think the uncomfortable nature that Abel was asking about. What we need for that um, is um, you need for privilege. You need to have safety. You need to know that your job, your well-being, your life isn't at threat. I think, like I mentioned earlier, when we're applying for jobs, it's not to have these conversations for the most mm -hmm. part, to put food and bread on the table for our loved ones. Yeah. So to ask someone to risk that by fighting and advocating for themselves and put themselves in an uncomfortable position, you require that that person be um, that safe. So I think, again, that that's separate um, based on the country, what you're allowed to get fired for, what's a, a policy that's not fireable. And I think once we make those things clear, and I think we can do that as a community, letting people know their resources, allowing them to know what the law is, what the law is, and what's okay to say and what's not okay to say, and when you've been wrong, what your escalation route is. So yeah, that uncomfortable nature is something that Again, it's we need it, I agree, to grow, but we have to make sure everyone is able to have that same chance to be uncomfortable. I, I also want to say something regarding, you know, advocating within the company, because if you can't advocate, at least find people, peers, mentors outside of the company so that you can uh, have that conversation, have that mirror saying that, okay, what what else can I do to uh make this you know make make the workplace better but if it doesn't if they don't listen 
And if they uh, are not willing to at least listen to your story or raise awareness about this, then I am not advocating for you to leave, but I do feel it's safe for you to say goodbye to the company because they are not honoring you. They are not listening to you. And um, I've done that a couple of times. I've been in an unsafe environment. I've been in an environment where uh, my character uh, was even uh, being judged um and it left me broken and i don't want you i i don't know i don't want anybody to go through that process because then you're going to doubt yourself and that's why it is so important to bring in diverse people so that they can see themselves in the workplace um even i have to share this so recently i've been on a national tv platform business platform if you would have seen the messages that I got from our people in my network, people of color, how proud they were, how proud they were. Okay. That's, 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 you know, it's not only good for me, but it's also showcasing we are allowed to be on television. We are seen, we, we have people of knowledge and it brings so much more power when you bring people of color in there and when you bring diverse people in there. Like I said, it's not only about people of color, it's about diversity. Uh, people who are disabled, people who have special needs. So um, try to portray that within your company as well. Anything to add? Very well said. Very well said. <laughs> you have fans, Etienne. You have fans. Oh, wow. Look at that. <laughs> you're getting money. You're getting credits. Vivian, you're going to have to add me to show. the title. <laughs> I'll start with co-host. Um, no, I think... <laughs> I've, been, um, I've been thinking about the same thing and, you know, just trying to recognize. And I think, not that we undersell ourselves um, intentionally, mm -hmm. but we're not always fully aware of the influence we have on others yeah and i think that um, that's something i think that does come along with a little more experience a little more confidence once you have a little more secure setting but that is something i've been taking to heart myself is uh mm -hmm. figuring out where i'm able to be effective outside of work and you know i i need to remember what 16 year old etienne was like and what he needed to see and what he didn't see and sometimes it is like you said vivian just having a um, conversation on tv sometimes it is writing something and um i need mm -hmm. to be more present about um how I uh, market that side of me. So yeah. I told else... you once I saw you talking at uh, Uber at a DRI panel and I was just like, I need to have this conversation. It took me a while <laughs> to get you here, but I'm glad that we all, you know, you all shared some valuable perspectives and I'm hoping that all these little, this little thoughts that you're planning now in people's head, in people's minds that they, you know, they nurture it that they give it some sunlight, they give it some water and it spreads on. That's all that I want for this show. So um, one more thing that I want to ask all of you, and that is an ending question that I always ask my panel, always ask my guests, what is your wish when it comes to humanizing the workplace and DNI? And I'll start with Gary. Nice, simple prediction. And I'm really sorry, Ava. I realize I completely dodged your question. So, Etienne, thanks for covering me. Uh, in, terms of, in terms of my final answer, um, my, my, my genuine belief and hope uh, in 2025 is that we have systems and structures in place that allow every person to truly be seen. Mm -hmm. I 
and that's beyond belonging. Belonging should be a like it's like belonging is a human right. But I think to actually be seen and be heard and be able to feed into the system, whatever that organizational system looks like, my hope and my belief is that we're going to be a, a long way towards that becoming a reality in five, mm-hmm. in five years' time. Yeah. All right, so. Well, I would like to say something that is a little bit more concrete than, um, but I, you know, it's it's uh, it's a beautiful question. You know what you're asking, but my answer is not that beautiful. Maybe I would just like to measure uh, diversity inclusion from now on. Mm-hmm. I would like for it to become more normal to measure yeah. diversity and inclusion. We talked about window dressing before, mm-hmm. and that's something that really touches me. The tokenism, the performative allyship, that needs to stop. What we need to do is measure now what's going on, set a goal and see if in five years that's actually happened or not. And for that to become the standard, to not just be like, oh, you know, that's a great post on social media. Someone (laughs) did something great at the Super Bowl. Somebody somebody shares something like DNI needs to be in their contract or it needs to be instilled in everybody's maybe performance. Is that a start? Yeah. Well, yeah, that would be, I, I, I'm definitely uh, pro making agreements between mm-hmm. like in teams. It's a little bit harder to measure one person's performance, however, mm-hmm. but I think the company itself, that's where we should start. Because in the end, the company is going to allow certain things, uh, a certain culture to exist. And yeah. so they need to be held accountable first. And they'll need to take any action, um, firing, hiring people that can make it happen or not for their goals to come through. So that's what I would like, something really concrete. Let's let's talk about numbers. Show me the numbers. That's what yes, Rise is doing. <laughs> <laughs> Rashida. Um. I think uh, my wish for 2025 is is um, it, it's a, a bit like Carrie's is sort of a, a human wish, uh, and it kind of stems a little bit also from the current COVID situation and the experience that I've just been through. Uh, and I'd love to see the end of the um, zero sum game mentality that we have when we refer to people, their lives, work life balance. You know, there is no work life balance. We have one life. So I'd love to see companies really embrace you know, celebrate, uh, uh, you know, and encourage this whole persona. Mm-hmm. When we talk about work, I'd like to see that win-win philosophy, you know, yeah. work and, and personal life are not competing priorities, but they're complementary. And, uh, you know, we really need to start thinking about and talking about um, acknowledging, respecting and celebrating everyone's boundaries and uh, bringing these two together. You know, when we talk about goal setting, when we talk about, you know, business priorities, you know, let's have a dialogue about both the business and individual's goals and let's make a plan to fulfill all of them, you know, let's embrace, you know, all of us, everything. That's a nice, that's a nice uh, ending story. But I think Etienne, right? Etienne, you're missing in this conversation. So, yeah, I think my uh, wish for 2025 is to uh, obviously be the co-host of the show with you. You're moving too fast. <laughs> too fast. All right, I'll slow down. I'll oh, think smaller. <laughs> Um, no, I, but, I will definitely bring you back. Thank you for. <laughs> um, but I think it's um, I think it's a, kind of what along the line with Rice was saying is that I think that mm-hmm. I would love to see the the people that are already um, able to be in the workplace actually be in the workplace. No. I'd love to see the sixty percent of women that are leaving universities be actually able to get jobs and work in the companies. I would love to see the people of color actually in the companies. So that's what the practices and the policies. I would like to have those on book. 
And then I think then we could have that real conversation and that next step, um, like Gary was mentioning and uh, Rashida was saying, humans, like, let's see people as humans. Let's allow mm-hmm. that mother, that father, let's allow fathers to raise their children as well. Those are all policy things I think you can do as a company. But then the real hard part that I honestly believe is never going to go away. Then you can have someone in the company that's sitting there not connected to someone that's completely different from them and learning how to work well together. And we can't get there until these people are allowed to get into the company. So mm-hmm. my, uh, my dream for 2025 is let's get those things on the books. Let's get the people that are able to work in the companies. And then we can get to that next step. And like, let's treat them like humans. Let's allow them to be their full selves, allow them to grow. And then we can have real progress. Cool, cool. I'm just going to share a few comments because I've just been listening to you all. So um, Errol Oslem is saying, we just need to run an experiment. That's cool. We have the power, the courage, uh, value differences. Um, Let me see. Shay is missing the beginning. Shay, you can just watch the replay. Let's go (laughs) do that. And Marjolein is saying, thank you all for this. I am amazed with the energy with I, I have 101 questions that I still want to ask, ask you. So <laughs> I think that the panel will come back in a few months to continue this conversation <laughs> because it was amazing. It really was amazing. So I would like to say thank you to bringing your magic sauce, your your pepper in this conversation, your spice in this conversation because it's a much needed conversation and inspiring conversation. Also want to thank everybody who commented on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn to uh, for sharing whatever it is that they shared, the story, the questions, uh, and also help amplifying this topic because it's a much needed. So thank you all. Please stay. I'm just closing off, but please stay till the end. And no, I'm just going to close off now. My name is Vivian Aqua and definitely connect with everybody here because they all have valuable uh, insights when it comes to DNI and um, I'm looking forward to the next conversation. So if you feel like DNI, we should have a conversation about DNI and dot 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 dot, just let me know what topic shall, shall we discuss, what questions do you want answers, what what things that you want us to talk about. I am leaving it up to up to you. And until next Thursday, I'll be hosting a an English conversation. Um, I forgot about the team, but watch tune into next Thursday <laughs> at 7:30 Central European time. And I would like to thank my panel members for this engaging conversation. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs>